All right, welcome back to Bible Class Debrief, Episode 2. Uh, Tim uh, is going to summarize the two lessons that he and Micah both taught today to 7th and 8th graders. Tim, take it away. So we covered Lessons 1.4 and 1.5 today. 1.4 is God instituting Adam as the priest and protector of the garden. So... Having passed through Genesis 1 now, uh, we have a basic understanding of what human beings are for already, and we're going back and looking in detail in Genesis 2 at how God did this. And then 1.5 brings us into the creation of woman and God leading Adam through a series of exercises where he learns that things that God made come in sets, and he's a set of one, and this doesn't work, and then God answers the need that he makes Adam conscious of. Excuse me. Very good. So, Micah and Tim, what uh, what were the big challenges that this lesson presented? Or these lessons, I guess, 1.4 and 1.5. Maybe they weren't that big of challenges. <laughs> Minor challenges that the lessons presented. My biggest one was just they're, they're two very different emphases. So, I mean, it's a, it's a single continuous story, but the way we carved this up when we wrote them, we've got the whole I mean, lesson 1.4 is really as much about the garden itself as it is about Adam. Right. Um, the, the sacred geography, and I way undersold that um, in order to go heavy on picking up on what I did last week with humankind being the signature in the corner of the painting, heavy on the fact that Adam by himself makes some significant strides toward being the signature of God on creation, but not he can't really get it done by himself. So it ended up, it was difficult to give 1.4, I feel like, the weight I would have given it if I'd taught it by itself mm -hmm. and do that at the same time. And these are middle school kids. This is, this is, this is when we need to be having the conversations about what the other sex is for. <laughs> <laughs> so I went heavy on that instead. Yeah, I think for me, because I went heavy on 1.4 and... Convincing them that uh, Eden is kind of a prophetic picture of the tabernacle uh, definitely took a lot of explaining. And I think some of them kind of got it and some of them, it, it may have gone over their heads a little bit. Um, so I found that to be the biggest challenge, but it was also one of, it was like really cool to learn about that. <laughs> what... Uh... Uh, what what do you think made it challenging for them to kind of grasp Eden as a picture of the tabernacle? I think um, the biggest challenge was just that it was new. Like, I didn't really learn about that until like Old Testament class in college. And like this kind of reminded me of it, you know. And so none of them had ever viewed Eden that way before. And so drawing attention to things that they hadn't had their attention drawn to before, I think was probably a challenge. 
Right, since they hadn't, you know, many of them maybe don't even know much about the tabernacle at all. Right. So the yeah. Eden is like the tabernacle. You know, you're kind it's of... It's like, wait, what's that again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Tim, did you touch that at all? Or since that was mostly in four, you didn't didn't get too much into the tabernacle? I didn't. I barely touched the tabernacle at all. Um, more touched Eden as as the sanctuary that God had put Adam in. Um, and his first sphere of influence, but didn't really touch the typology with the tabernacle. Um, and I mean, I'm a little frustrated by that actually, because as I was prepping, I had intended to, and then as I got rolling into the lesson, it's just not like with the questions they were asking, it's just not the way the conversation went. And I hit a point where it was clearly like I was going to be digressing back and then I was going to lose them. Right. So I just didn't do it. I figured I'll hit it on the other end when we do the tabernacle. I'll call back to Eden. Right. So did, um, what kind of, res- you, you focused in on the creation of the woman in 1.5. What kind of response did you get from your students? Was there anything in there that surprised them or did they, did they, you know, they, did they catch the meaning of it? I had a couple that were um, like the, the not good thing. It's not good that for man to be alone. That like, It was a new thought that, wait, God said something's not good in his own creation. Yes. Yes. It's right there. <laughs> he really did. Um, and that was, that was interesting to, like, they just didn't know the story well enough for it to click that that's a thing. So we talked about it in terms of the, God making the the it's signature, it's self-portrait, right? So he's looking in the mirror, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, community, love, relationship, freely given. Looking over here, one person, totally alone. Mm, Got to add a little more to the signature there. And then I had a great question from my one of my girls asked, why did God go through this whole rigmarole. So, you know, she got why, you know, why take Adam through the naming the animals thing so that he'll understand that he needs this. So like one, two, one, two, one, two. Then he looks in the mirror. One. Wait a minute. But he didn't, but but she she wanted to know why you know why put Adam to sleep why take a rib why do all of this uh, why not just snap his fingers and there she is or you know make another one out of dirt and breathe into why why do this right it's a great question um, so we went to the poem at the end of the chapter and could Adam say this yeah if God had just gone all right here she is. Well, no, like she is part of him. And this, my kids got like, so he's not complete without her. Like mm. it's, he wakes up and he used to have 12 ribs on this side and now he's got 11. He's missing something. <laughs> and then God brings her in. Like, That's where it went. <laughs> so we're putting back together something that belongs together. 
And that really caught hold. And several of my guys actually got like, wait, so like got the like, nobody actually said the words soulmate, which is great because I would have thrown up in my mouth a little, um, <laughs> but, but that, that idea that God, they, they were originally together and then they're separated and now they're back together and this is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Like they got that and it resonated. Now, did you go full on like Christ in the church? Are you pointing forward at all? Or are you just kind of sitting on these images? I touched Ephesians 5. Okay. Um, as a, like, you know, we kicked around the question, what is, you know, okay, so he couldn't say this unless it happened this way, but what is God teaching us now with that? Well, he who loves his wife loves himself. With Adam, it's like she's literally his bones, his flesh. That's that's God laying in the groundwork for what he's going to do later in Ephesians, which in turn yeah. teaches us about Christ in the church. Now, I'm curious with that, Micah, you talked about Eden and the tabernacle. Did you go like full on, you know, new Jerusalem, new heavens, new earth, or you, you sitting on that? A little bit. Yeah. A yeah, little bit. We talked about Eden being a picture of the tabernacle and, and the tabernacle being a picture of heaven. And some kid was like, well, isn't heaven supposed to be a city? I'm like, yeah. Uh, so we, we talked, we, we, we dove into that a little bit. Um, yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, if the kids are paying it, you know, paying attention, they know their Bibles, which, you know, many of these kids do, they're going to, they're going to catch that there's something bigger going on here, which is cool. Now, Tim, back to something you had said about the kids wondering about why did God, you know, got all this work to put Adam to sleep and, and all of this. And I think you could say the same thing about God creating Adam from dust and forming him with his hands. And then it, that made me think of Jesus when he, you know, he spat on some mud and pasted it on somebody's eyes. God always like, and, and even, even back to creation, God could have just, he didn't have to speak it into existence. He could have just, you know, thought it into existence or stood there and watched it happen. What? I guess there's, you, you mentioned the poetic thing, but what else is going on there that God we actually talked about this a little bit. Okay. Um, because, and we got into it kind of sideways. Somebody wanted to know, okay, so, you know, as we're recapping the six days of creation, when did the angels get, like, where did they, where do they come in? Right. So we went to the back end of Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So there's an angelic audience for like, we don't see it in Genesis, but we're given it later. Before this, that's when. Um, so there's an angelic audience for this, which took us to an interesting place with the day of rest. Yeah. At the end. And what I found myself comparing it to is they're watching and they're shouting for joy. Look at all this. You know that, that moment at the end of a really good movie when you don't want to get up, you don't want to do anything, you don't want to move on to the next thing. You want to just kind of sit with uh. what just happened. That's part of what's happening on the seventh. God has taken, has, this is six days of performance art before a massive angelic audience. 
And now we're just taking a moment to sit with what just happened. <laughs> and that's Adam's first day. First right. full day is let's just sit with what's here. <laughs> so we talked a little bit in that context about why, because we did call back to that, like why he could have done that with everything. Right. Yeah. It could have all just winked into existence. Wouldn't say it's not like it would have taken him any extra work, <laughs> but there's a structure and a beauty to how he did it. And there are lessons for us in how he did it, the forming and the filling. And like this calls back to creation, teaching us how to make anything. Mm -hmm. And we're meant to be the signature of God. We're meant to take over. We talked about the naming. I left it out last week. Uh -huh. So then when we got into the signature thing again this week, you know, we got to call back, where does God stop naming? In chapter one. Yeah. Why? Who, who does the next bit of naming? Well, here we are. God gives Adam the job. We're meant to take over and shape it from there. Yeah. So there's something uh, about the way God interacts with the world that's for accomplishing his purposes, whether it's creating or healing. And then there's something in there that's didactic. It's meant to teach us something about who he is or about what he's created us for. Um, then maybe we could say there's something poetic about it, that, that God is not, you know, that it's also about art. It's not just about accomplishing the task at hand. It's about telling a story and shaping perceptions and that kind of thing. And yeah, and taking time to be, to unfold it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, different art forms are different this way. Because a painting, when it's done, it's done. And it's all, it's all like you walk into the room, into the gallery, right? And it just hits you in the face all at the same time. Right. But you can't do that with a dance. You can't see it all at once. Mm -hmm. um, it unfolds over time. And God does some of that here as well. It, even in the structure of the six days where he forms for three days and then he goes back on the fourth day and fills what he formed on the first day. And yeah. same with fifth and second, sixth and third. There's a there's an unfolding in time that happens that's part of the presentation. Right. I, I, that made me think of, you know, there, there are paintings, you see these airbrush paintings on YouTube or somebody part, you know, it, it's, it's partly about the, the finished product, but mm. you know, they show the artist sp speed it up a little maybe. And they show the artist over a couple of minutes doing the painting. Cause with that kind of art, watching the transformation as the different layers are, are added on um, there's something about watching an artist perform, even if the there is a final product that I think is really powerful as well. Now, back to lesson 1.4, we have the 
tabernacle and the, the Eden as a picture of the tabernacle. And then we have the man as the priest and his duty to tend and to keep. Micah, did you get into the tend and, and keep? We did. Part of that? Yeah. Tell me about that. What what did you what did you how did you approach that? And what was the response from the students? We talked about I, I talked about the roles that we'll see in the Old Testament um, of like priest and prophet and king. Um, and then we talked about Adam and I mentioned it as humankind, like are the priests, so to speak, and they were given roles um, to tend and like cultivate the earth. And we talked about like, what are your responsibilities? And cause even though we're like, we're not there exactly like we kind of are. And we had a lot of conversations about that. And I mean, I'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts too. Um, there was a lot of conversations like we're not in the garden, like we're not allowed to go in the garden, but like, all of these things still apply. And, you know, there was a lot of kids who were like, but where is the garden? Like, can we find it? And I was like, no, but we're like in that world, but it's fallen. So I think that's probably what it means um, that we're not allowed to go in the garden anymore. Um, but I'm curious what your guys' opinions are on that. But back to the priest thing, we talked about how that applies to us um, and how we have like responsibilities um, and how like Adam walked with God. Um, and how, like, as priests, we, as believers, as priests, we get to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah, and God has given each of us a, a domain. Right. That, within which we have the same duties to uh, cultivate and guard, tend and keep. Um, so there's some good application in there. Yeah, for sure. So... Tim, I'm curious your response to, to Micah's question there about the garden. I We hit this from a slightly different angle, um, but just thought experiment in the, like, the not goodness of Adam by himself is, you know, God gives him the world. Go, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, right? And there he is by himself. I mean... He's going to live a long time. Does that help? <laughs> like, it's not a one man job. It's yeah. just not. Um, there are parts of the planet that he's never going to get to. And he's not supposed to. Like God gives him Eve and they're meant to have tons of children that spread out over the whole globe. The garden, the garden was Adam's and he blew it and, God buried it wherever he buried it, and that's that. But I'm however many generations down the line, the garden was probably never going to be my responsibility in any case. Some other bit of the world is my job. Do you think it would be valid to say that the that we're supposed to, you know, bring the garden out into the rest of the world? Or is that is that going too far? Is the gardens is is the gardens maybe supposed to be thought of as a a sanctuary or a Sabbath kind of place um, that that you go to, you know, you go to to escape or or something like that. I don't know. Is it maybe some of both? I don't. I mean, I suspect a bit of both. Um, there's a couple of typological strains that occur to me there. One of them would be I would flip it on its. I mean, my first reaction is to flip it on its head. 
We don't bring the garden out into the world. We bring the world back. The garden is the tabernacle, is the temple, is the new Jerusalem, is the church. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into her. Right. Um, the garden doesn't expand to cover the whole world. Um, we garden the world to bring its best back into the garden. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, though, the garden... The garden is not the mountain of God because the mountain's to the west, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the mountain where Lucifer walks amid the fiery stones, which is not a place you would want to wander around naked, unlike the garden. <laughs> um, this place of volcanic beauty that's not particularly meant for humans um, comes becomes the tabernacle. Like there's... Mm -hmm. Sinai becomes Sinai becomes a mountain of God. The altar becomes a portable, in a way, mountain of God with its sanctuary to the to the west. Uh -huh. um, and at Pentecost, divided tongues of fire come to rest not on a particular mountain, not in the holy of holies, not above the tabernacle, but on the heads of every person who has the Holy Spirit. Right. And part of what God is telling us is we are the presence of God in the world. We are that mountain everywhere mm -hmm. we go. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense in which, yes, you know, of course, everywhere we go. And this is part of what Hebrews talks about. Um, when it talks about praise as a sacrifice and generosity as an offering that pleases God. Yeah. I am the mountain of God everywhere I go, and every beggar's hand is God's altar. If I'm there to put something in it, yeah, um, that's that's part of that's part of this too. It's best I can do off the cuff. <laughs> that's pretty good. I like it. Well, it sounds like a successful day teaching. Any final thoughts? Next up is the serpent. Yep. The temptation of Adam and Eve. So we'll hear about that next time on the Bible Class Debrief. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.